We'll be looking at Luke chapter 1. We're still in that chapter, starting with verse 39 at this time. And as you turn there, um, just wondering, do you ever feel like spontaneously bursting into song? There's two people I'm thinking of right now. It's in my mind. And their initials are Stephanie and uh, Rod. <laughs> I was just going to start singing. <laughs> I could hear him. I could hear Rod singing. It was, I'm dreaming of a white crisp. Yeah, of course. Of course, all the time. Yeah. Spontaneously bursting out into song. Do, how often do you give into these impulses? Maybe more than you should. <laughs> What kinds of songs generally spill out in, in these impulsive times? It probably relates to, to the situation you're in, possibly. But um, you know, maybe, maybe you haven't been in that situation, uh, but what I'd like to show you is a clip that will help you understand a little bit more about what I'm talking about, the spontaneous bursting out into song. Maybe you've seen this before. Yes, spontaneous singing. So if you hear Stephanie in the Clackamas Town Center, <laughs> you, you know what's going on. You know what's going on. Well, as we prepare the way in our lives here for the arrival of the Messiah during this third Sunday of Advent, we'll be looking at the ways God finds favor in us. We're going to look at two people who also burst out into spontaneous song as well, and we'll be learning from them. We are humbled, though, that he would give us his favor. Give, he would give favor to us. We're saying, why would he do something like that to us? Why would he do this? What, what did we do to deserve it? And how should we live in response to it? Uh, trust that we'll be able to answer those questions through today's message. Well, the first two Sundays, we've dealt with some rather difficult ideas uh, during, the, during the first Sunday, we discovered that Advent cultivates the, the difficult discipline of waiting. Sometimes that's, that's, that's very hard for us, to wait in anticipation. But the discipline of waiting, but then also to the waiting and the hope that find fulfillment when God draws near to us. And during the second week, we saw that once we, we hear God... His call on our lives could be overwhelming and scary as we communicate the mystery of God among us. But because God is among us, then we have that uh, ability and direction and uh, sense of knowing that God will, will be with us and provide along the way of being able to communicate the mystery of the gospel. And on this third Sunday of Advent, we get amazingly good news. God's call in our lives is an overwhelming privilege. <laughs> Isn't that good news? No. It's also a gift, a gift He gives to us. He finds favor in us and gives us this wonderful life, be able to spread to other people and let others know about what Christ has done for us. And in today's passage, we look once again at Mary and Elizabeth, and we discover through their example that God's favor is poured out on us for His glory and for the sake of others. We're going to look at a portion of Scripture here, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. And again, we're going to let the sand Bible kind of illustrate this portion of Scripture. So Sydney is going to help us with that. So after Mary hears that her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant, she quickly goes to see her. She's excited for Elizabeth, who has been presumed to be barren. 
Ancient Near Eastern culture during that time considered barrenness to be a sort of curse from God, usually as a result of some unconfessed sin. So Elizabeth's child was not only a gift from God, but also a sort of vindication that she was not especially sinful, something that she had done causing all this. But as soon as Mary gets there, Elizabeth essentially says, you are the one who is truly blessed. The baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, jumps for joy as soon as as, uh, he senses the presence of the baby Jesus and his mother. Elizabeth credits Mary for her faith by saying that she is blessed for believing that God would fulfill his promise to her. And Mary then breaks into song, as it were, in a, a poem that was come to be known as the Magnificat. And this, this song, she says these things. She thanks God for looking on her with favor. She discovers and thanks God for the fact that all the generations will remember her. In, order, in, in, in other words, though, she, she recognizes that what she is doing is a pivotal part of God's plan of salvation. And then she also thanks God for His mercy on the weak and acknowledges again that God will scatter and defeat all those who have faith in their own strength. And then she thanks God for his provision for the poor and remembers that the rich will not always prosper. And then she says that the birth of this baby is God's way of remembering his chosen people, Israel, providing for their redemption and continuing to care for them forever. So we discover that God cares for both Mary and Elizabeth, and they stay together until the birth of John the Baptist. So, That portion of Scripture we're going to look at here real quick, and we're going to kind of discover some things out of this that will help us realize about uh, God's favor. Now, doesn't it feel good to be chosen? Early on in life, we learn the emotional satisfaction of being chosen, whether as the line leader or as the flag holder for the preschool Pledge of Allegiance. Some of you maybe remember that way back when. And then the pleasure continues with each successive act of being chosen as a member of the recess kickball team, right? Or maybe as a a date for the school dance, maybe an officer on the student council, or maybe the successful applicant of a first job, or an accepted college freshman, or the freshly ringed fiancé of the guy who captured her heart. If you are a, a mom, it feels good to be chosen by the toddler who likes other people, but prefers you best of all. And it feels good to be the friend of someone who wants to have lunch with you. Or the listener for someone, uh, for someone who needs a, a confidant. It feels good when faraway friends choose to spend limited vacation time and money visiting you. It feels good when college kids choose to come back to your nest for the summer versus staying in the college town all summer. It feels good when grandkids clamor to spend the weekend with you. It just feels good to be chosen. And age and experience don't alter the fact. You've been chosen. You have found favor in their eyes. So, what is this favor? It is crucial to understand what we mean when when we talk about the favor of God. This is important because it is an idea that we hear thrown around all the time, especially by people like me, pastors. Uh, How often have you heard well-meaning Christians or excited pastors use this term in relation to some sort of good break, like an upgrade on the flight? God's favor was upon me, 
and, and the flight was upgraded, and now I fly in first class. Or, or maybe free tickets to the big game. God showed favor on me in that way. Or nice, a nice deal on, on, on the next purchase. God's favor was on me. And it's common to label these as, as, as God's favor, God's grace upon us. I'm not saying we should not be grateful for these blessings. That's, those are wonderful. Those happen, and we should give thanks to God. But this is not what we mean when we speak of favor here biblically. As we look at the biblical idea of God's favor, we can't escape the fact that it is often attached to this theme, this theme. God trusting us to bear a difficult mission, and it is His grace poured out on us for the sake of others. So there's this difficult mission that needs to be accomplished. God then says, you're the one. And He trusts that this will happen through you. And it is His grace then that pours out upon us so that others will benefit from what is going on through you. Now, there are many biblical examples of God trusting imperfect people to accomplish His work as His grace is poured out on them for the sake of others. A uh, couple examples, and you're probably pretty familiar with them. Moses, in Exodus chapter 3 and uh, a good portion of chapter 4, talks about when uh, he's meeting with God at the burning bush. God's giving him some instructions of what's going to be going on. So God's work, the difficult mission here, is to deliver God's people from the hand of Pharaoh. That's what needs to happen. And the imperfection that we see in this person, well, you know about it. Moses' excuses, they won't believe me. I'm not a good speaker. Uh, I'm, the, I, I, I'm the only one. I, I can't be the only one. Don't just send me. And so God then steps in. His grace comes upon him. His favor comes upon him. For the sake of others, uh, God shows him miraculous signs. Throw down your, your staff, becomes a snake. Put your hand in your cloak and bring it up. It's leprous. Come put it back in. It's healed. These things will help you uh, show these signs to the Egyptians and they will, Pharaoh, and they will believe. And if that doesn't work, there are other things you will be doing. He lists those things as well. And God then also says, as far as. Uh, the imperfection of, I'm not a good speaker, I will give you the words to say. I will help you in this. And then his final excuse, of course, of being, you know, find somebody else. And God said, I have Aaron that will come alongside. He will speak for you. Give him the words as I give you the words, and he will speak. It's all worked out. Moses, you have no more excuses. Yes, you are imperfect. Yes, you, not, you, you don't have it all together, but you are the person that I need to work in this situation, to work out this difficult mission of delivering my people out of the hand of Pharaoh. You're the one. I'm calling upon you to do it. I found favor. You found favor in my eyes, and I'm giving you this favor and this grace for the sake of the others, for the sake of delivering my people. So we see that working out there in that situation uh, in the Bible with Moses. Also, too, there's another portion of Scripture in Judges, in chapters 6 and 7. And you were aware of the book of Judges where it talks about how the people of Israel um, loving God, and things are going great, then they, then they rebel, they go their own way, and then God hands them over to some group of people to oppress them. 
and then God's people cry out to God, oh, we're in trouble, this is horrible, ah, save us. And then God sends a prophet, a, a judge, to come. So this is what's going on, this is why this is happening, you need to turn to God. And then they go, we will, we will, we turn to God. And so they turn to God, and then everything's great, but then it goes back. And so you got the cycle of Judges, and you see that throughout the whole book of Judges. Well, in this one portion then, chapters 6 and 7, we come to a familiar story about Gideon. And Gideon is one of these people that God used in an incredible way, uh, one of those imperfect people. Uh, God's people, again, were rebelling against the Lord, and God gave them over to the Midianites, and the Midianites uh, oppressed them for seven years. And after, after those seven years, uh, uh, God's people finally cried out to him and, and you know, save us. And so God sent Gideon and said, Gideon, you will be the man that will help these guys and deliver them. You need to destroy the altar of Baal, take care of that first, and then, uh, then I will help you battle the Midianites. And, uh, and so in that whole situation, we see a fleece for confirmation of God's call, and Gideon lays that out as well. Uh, we see God using uh, the, the 32, not using the 32,000 men, but he takes those 32,000 32, men uh, to, to fight against the Midianites, and he whittles them down to 300 men to do battle. And it was all because that if, if it was 32,000 men and they, they won, then the men would take credit and God would not get the credit for fighting the battle for them. So 300 men, you can't go against Midianites with 300 men. That doesn't work. And it happens. And so they get the victory. God would get also the credit on that. So the difficult mission here for Gideon was to deliver God's people from the Midianites. And again, you know Gideon. He is the type of person that's like, okay, you know what? I'm the least of the weakest clan in Manasseh. Um, you're probably not looking for the right guy. You mean someone else down the, down the way is much stronger than me. But God was saying, no, you're the guy. You're the one. With your imperfections and all, uh, you're the one that I'm tapping on the shoulder. So God's grace was given to him by saying, God's, God basically said through, through the angel that spoke with uh, Gideon, I will be with you through all these things. I will instruct you. I will take you through these times, and I will guide you through this. I will be with you in this. And so God's favor was upon Gideon in this and led him through for the sake of others to bring delivery of, of God's people out of the hands, hands of, of, of the Midianites. We see this throughout Scripture a lot, where God uses imperfect people to do a difficult mission and then God's grace or His favors upon that person so that others will benefit for the sake of others. And that's what we see here with Elizabeth and Mary. But then again, why does God pour out His favor on Elizabeth and Mary? Why them? The word is used uh, to describe both women, the favor, that word favor, in verses 30 and 43. And both seem equally surprised to be favored. And notice uh, Elizabeth's response to seeing Mary in verses 41 through 45. She's blown away. She's, she's, she's blown away by, the, by the, the honor given. And then you look at the theme of Mary's song in verses 46 through 55. She is overwhelmed and humbled that God was, would use such a person as, as she. So what attributes set them up for this gift? Why Elizabeth and Mary? 
What actions and accomplishments put them in the path of such blessing? None, really. None, as far as we can tell, apart from humble surrender and a simple faith. Humble surrender and a simple faith. And what is the purpose of this favor? You know, is it the elevation of, of Elizabeth and Mary? Is it for their fame or prosperity or advancement in their community? No, it obviously is not. It's for the, it's for the blessing of the world as they deliver our deliverance in the form of the forerunner, John the Baptist, and Messiah. That was the purpose. That's why these things were happening. This favor is to prepare the way for the arrival of redemption. And this favor is God's grace poured out in them for the sake of others. And like I said, you see it throughout Scripture, you see it here as well too. Elizabeth and Mary were both chosen to take the stage in God's divine drama. The script of human history was coming to a new act, and they were pivotal players in this. When Mary, the leading lady, entered Elizabeth's home, even Elizabeth's babe leaped within her, recognizing the powerful act the Holy Spirit had already accomplished. And Mary and Elizabeth saw with clarity that God was the playwright scripting his redemption story and marveled at the distinction of being cast in supporting roles. They broke into song spontaneously. Elizabeth's song declared Mary as blessed because she believed that the Lord would, be, would do what he said. And Mary's song again declared God to be praised. She depicted God's mercy and goodness to her and delighted in his kindness to her specifically. And she also rejoiced in his faithfulness to Israel, mentioning his mercy extends to all who fear him. So this raises the next question. You know, okay, Mary and Elizabeth, great. Why you, why you and me? <laughs> why would God's favor be upon you and, and me? Why does God pour out his favor on us? He has, hasn't he? He's poured out his favor on you. When was the last time you paused to consider the favor poured out on you? When was the last time you just stopped and just realized and recognized God's favor is upon me? To be able to account for, for, for your blessings, to express your gratitude for the good gifts from God. This is the perfect time of year to look back across the ways in which you've been blessed. Look back through these days and realize, wow, God's favor has been on me. If you haven't taken what I'd like to do right now is just to take a moment. Take a moment in silence right now just to be able to pause and contemplate His goodness on us. Just to allow some time right now in silence and if you need to close your eyes and not be distracted, just be able to realize God's favor on you. Let's take a moment right now and do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for the moment to be able to recognize your grace upon us, your favor on us. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to count our blessings that we have, too often we can be weighted down by the burden that this life holds for us at times. I pray, Lord, that you would help us be able to 
lift those burdens off of us, lay them at your feet, and be able to recognize how good you are in our life. Thank you, Jesus, for your favor upon us. In your name we pray. Amen. So why you and me? Why us? Why have we received such favor and blessing? Once again, he has poured out his grace on us in these ways for the sake of his glory and the sake of others. It's to glorify God and it's, and it's to give benefit for other people around us. We must always look for ways to respond to this favor by giving him glory and giving ourselves away for the sake of others. It needs to happen. And like I said, what a better time than this time, during time of Christmas, to be able to do that. God is still writing the pages of this dramatic redemption narrative. God in his faithfulness and consistency is still using people to let it play out. He wouldn't have, have to do so. He could certainly accomplish his will and purpose on his own. But he finds favor in us. He likes us. He loves us. In spite of our sinful selves, just as he did with Mary so long ago, he uses us to be the conveyors of his promises, the ones to carry forth his plans. God's favor was not limited to Mary, and his mercy was not limited to Israel. He still prefers those who love him and follow him to be the vessels that carry the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to a world that still needs the mercy and redemption originally promised to Abraham and his descendants. And as God entrusted Mary with a great task, He is calling you and entrusting you with the same mission. The mission to carry Jesus to the world. He's entrusting you to do that. Let Him use you as a player in the continuing pages of His redemptive drama. Continue to allow Him to use you to be able to work His grace and His favor through you to carry on Jesus to the world and let other people know about Him. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about how pursuing the call of God can be difficult for us to the point of being overwhelming. Mary's story, though, reminds us of the awesome truth that God's call in our lives is not only a burden, it can be, but is a source of great joy for several reasons. Let me just give you a few here. When, for instance, when we follow God's call in our lives, we are playing a pivotal part of God's plan of salvation. So when you say yes to God's call in your life, then you are part of that plan in place, in motion, of His salvation. Again and again, Jesus reminds us that our job is not just to believe in Him, but to extend His ministry into the world. Receive Him as Savior. That is good. <laughs> we need that. But then, convey that to others. Let others know what Jesus has done for you. The same Jesus who says, I am the light of the world, also says to His disciples, you are the light of the world. We are that light as well with God in us. God can do something through you that He can do through no one else. He's calling you specifically to a task, specifically, because He knows you are the one who can do it. He, he, he brought Moses forward. He had a particular task. Gideon had a particular task. They all seemed 
They, they felt like they were unworthy. Why me? What can I offer? Even Mary was like that as well. And as God comes before you and says, I've got a difficult mission for you. And I need you to say yes. I need you to do this. Don't point to anyone else around you. Don't say, oh, someone else can do it because they got uh, better oratory skills. They, they've got better uh, evangelistic skills. No, I need you. Because you're the one who can do this particular task. No one else. God is calling each one of us to do that. God can do something through you that he can do through no one else. And also, too, um, it's a great, this is a great source of joy of God's call in our life. Is When we say yes to God's call, we begin to believe those things that can be difficult to believe. It's the beginning step of saying, yes, okay, Lord, I agree that you can use me. And you step forward in faith. And as you continue to say yes to God, then God equips and God helps you see, see, this is why you need to do this. It works. You fit in this job uh, description for this task. But those things that can be difficult to believe, we begin to believe that they can happen. As Mary said in her, her song, that the poor and weak are truly powerful, and that the rich and proud are ultimately not going to win, and that God has never forgotten His chosen people, and also, too, that God continues to keep His promises. All those things, as well as what God has for you in your task, that might seem difficult to believe, will begin to uh, look, be believable, because as we continue to say yes to God's call. So what can we do? What can we do about all this? What is it then that we should be doing to put this into practice? Let me help you with uh, three things. Suggest three things for you. First of all, seize an intentional moment every day this week. So give me a time frame specifically. This week, seize an intentional moment every day this week to reflect on God's blessing in your life. Stop and count your blessings. We need to do that. We need to have that before us to realize how good God is and how much His favor is upon us. Secondly, thank others for being a source and channel of God's grace to you. Do you know someone who has spoken God's truth into you, who has encouraged you, who has, who has been used by God as God has shown favor in that person's life for the sake of your life. If you've got people in your life like that, you should thank them for that. Thank them for being faithful to God. Because sometimes that can be a very thankless situation. Where people obey God, do what they're supposed to do, and then there's really no feedback. You don't see what's going on sometimes. But if you know the source, you know the person who's helped you, because they have been helped by God, go to them. Thank them for it. Now, if it's a, a card, send them a card to thank you. If it's an email or a text message, a phone call, whatever it might be. Thank others for being a source and channel of God's grace to you. And then finally, 
what you can do is find an intentional way to be a channel of grace to others. So as you have received that, turn that right around and find someone that you can be a benefit, show, show God's love to and, and uh, for the sake of them as God has shown favor on you. Be a channel of grace to others. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us a couple songs. As they do, let me just uh, remind you that God finds favor in us. Favor is far more than a few good breaks. It's not just getting a great parking spot at the town center when you need it. Favor is far more than reward for right living. Favor is God's grace toward us for the purpose of His glory and for the sake of others. So is there a specific task or mission to which you feel called by the Lord? Maybe you have, and you're kind of trying to ignore it, or, you know, someone else can do it. God's pointing to you. You're the one. Frederick uh, Beekner, he's an American theologian and writer. Uh, he once said, The place God calls you is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So by this, he means that God has a place for each of us where we do something really fruitful for God, and at the same time, we are deeply touched and blessed by doing it. There's a need that's been met, and it was met because we love to do that thing. See, that's why God calls each person specifically for different tasks, because He knows your giftings. He knows where you're at your experiences, and He wants to use you for His glory in someone's life. But think about that quote. Think about that quote. And Do you see any patterns in how God wants to use you? Some patterns you observe when you're doing faithful ministry. And you're happy and excited about what you're doing. Is there some way God is kind of steering you in the direction for ministry in that way. God's favor is upon us. He loves you. He wants to use you for His glory. And for that favor to be upon us, His grace to be upon us, is for the sake of others around us. What are you doing to be used by God in that way? I trust that, uh, that as you pray and ask God about that, that the Holy Spirit will speak to your hearts and remind you that if you are the one for this task, whatever that task might be. And you're not alone. Moses and Gideon all the others didn't think they were worthy of it. You don't think you're worthy of it either. That's all right. God thinks you're worthy. And you should say yes to what He has for you.
you have chosen us out, Lord, and um, if you have uh, placed your favor on us, Lord, let us always be thankful and always searching for those ways, Lord, where we can uh, just uh, humbly surrender, Lord, to whatever opportunities you open up to us, Lord. May we always be ready um, with, with just the, uh, the, the, the words that you give us, Lord, and uh, may we just always seek to, to be grace to this world, Lord, and, and uh, just a blessing from you to all that are around us. I just thank you today. Go with us, Lord. Uh, may we be servants to you always. Be with them. Amen. Amen.